HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Roth Cheese, a trailblazer in the U.S. specialty cheese movement. For more information, visit rothcheese.com. It's time for lunch. Welcome to Time for Lunch. This is the place to learn about eating, cooking, enjoying, and let's face it, pretty much every episode, playing with your food. Each episode, we're covering a new subject. I'm Hannah Forden. And I'm Harry Rosenblum. Tune in for food, fun, and flavor. We have a special guest here today for lunch, and it's up to you to figure out who they are and what the theme of today's episode is. Ready? What shape are you? Well, I'm more of a verb than a thing. That means I'm an action or something you can do. Ooh, tricky, tricky. But um, you've got something to do with food, right? Yes, yes. Uh, I'm something that you do to get things you can eat. Oh, like go to the grocery store? Not exactly. I'm more wild than that. Hmm. So like being outside? Yes. Harry, is this something that you like to do? It is. I like to do it as often as possible, and I'm always interested in learning more. Okay, I think I'm getting there. So you do this in the wild, outside. Are you talking about foraging? That's it. Foraging is searching for food in the wild. You never know what you're going to find. There are edible plants, berries, mushrooms in the woods. I love getting to find delicious things and learn more about what grows in the place and why it's there. It's important to know that there are some plants and mushrooms that are poisonous or even deadly. So you have to learn about them first. But there are some that are pretty easy to recognize and are super yummy. Yeah, make sure you ask a grown-up before you pick or touch anything you see. It takes a lot of work to gain all the knowledge you need to forage. But you should always keep your eyes open and notice everything around you, especially in the woods. I love to go out foraging. It's one of my hobbies. And it gets me outside into the woods. I go on hikes with my daughter Moxie and my son Frank. There's so much to learn, and that's one of my favorite things about it. Finding out about all the plants and mushrooms and berries and even seaweed. 
That's so cool. And one great thing about getting out and getting to know your environment is you can see it change with the season. You might catch a glimpse of a deer or a rabbit or a butterfly, and it's so cool. I like to count things when I go for a hike, like how many trees I can recognize and how many insects and animals I might see. One time, I remember on a hike, I saw a big snake hanging from a tree, and I wouldn't have noticed it because it looked like a branch. But if you slow down, you'd be surprised what you see. Yeah, you can keep an eye out when you're walking outside and try to identify things. Just this week, I have foraged three kinds of edible mushrooms, blueberries, blackberries, dandelion greens, sassafras, and some seaweed I'm going to use in a soup. Hannah, do you have any favorite wild edibles? Uh, Well, when I was growing up, I was really lucky. And my babysitter, who also was a teenager who was my idol, her name was Tava, she used to take me foraging in the woods behind our houses. We'd find things like lemon sorrel, wild chamomile, and even black raspberries back there. It was amazing. Getting to know the plants that grow just outside my door was a great way to make exploring the backyard feel like an adventure or a treasure hunt. You know, I've been hearing that a lot of people, Harry and myself included, have been making sourdough bread at home. And if you have a sourdough starter, it's a lot like foraging for yeast. That yeast is in the air all around us, and you just need to capture it, and that kind of provides the ingredients you need for fermentation. We're going to learn a lot more about that in an upcoming episode all about fermentation. And I'd love to hear from some listeners about what kind of plants, berries, and mushrooms they see in their backyards. You can send us an email, timeforlunchpodcast at gmail.com, and let us know. What lions live in your backyard? Dandelions. Why is the mushroom always invited to the party? Because it's a fun guy. What kind of room can you eat? A mushroom. Now it's time for our question of the day. The answer to this question is somewhere in this episode, so listen carefully. What essential ingredient in bread is a close relative to mushrooms. Keep an ear out for the answer. Jeremy Umansky is the chef and owner of Larder in Cleveland, Ohio, where he often features foraged ingredients on the menu. I knew he would have some words of wisdom for us. My name is Jeremy Umansky. I forage for a lot of mushrooms and plants and berries and nuts. And one of my favorite things to do is to take my daughter, Amelia, out with me. Uh, we often love to look at the different mushrooms because of how many different colors and shapes we see. It's just absolutely fantastic. Emilia often sees mushrooms way before myself or even our dog does. Her eyes are closer to the ground and she, uh, she can spot them super, super easily. There are some important things to remember, both as an adult and as a kid, when you're looking for things in the forest. You know, one of the biggest rules that we have when we go foraging is to always ask a grown-up. Before we touch anything, we can look for as many things as we want, but before we go and touch something, we we always ask a grown-up. You know, we just want to make sure that everybody stays safe because there's some things out there that could give us a little bit of an itchy rash, rash if we touch it. 
Uh, there's other th things that if we happen to eat them uh, could make us very sick. So we always want to be as careful as we can, especially if it's something we don't know what it is. So always ask a grown-up is the number one rule. Some of my favorite things to forage are things that have very short seasonal windows, meaning out of the whole year, they're only available for maybe a few days to a couple of weeks. Some things that fall along those lines are some types of mushrooms, but also a lot of berries. Once the berries get ripe, you have to get to them before the squirrels and the birds and the bears do. Uh, also some plants. One of my favorite is a vine called Greenbrier that puts off these little beautiful vines with soft spikes on them and they taste like lemon, but they're only available for about a week or maybe 10 days out of the year. There are a lot of good places to look for information if you want to learn more about foraging. So there's lots of resources out there uh, for information about foraging and what is safe to do and not safe to do. Some of the most accessible ones, especially for parents, are if you visit the website of your state agricultural school. So here in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, I can go to Ohio State's website and there's a little tab about wild plants and mushrooms and berries that are found in my area. And they often discuss safe handling and edibility. In terms of publications for children, uh, there's quite a few really great picture books out there that detail, uh, you know, little adventures of families or fairies even going foraging and how to safely do things. So uh, sometimes you have to do a little bit of digging around, but for the most part, it's pretty easy to find the information you need. You can follow Jeremy's adventures on Instagram at tmgastronaut. We're going to take a short break, but stick around. We're going foraging for more fun facts after the break. Today's program is brought to you by Roth Cheese, a trailblazer in the U.S. specialty cheese movement. Roth has been making specialty cheese in the rolling hills of southern Wisconsin for more than 30 years. Roth is best known for its award-winning alpine-style cheeses named Grand Cru. Fresh Wisconsin milk, combined with expertise and affinage, is how Roth creates high-quality, great-tasting cheese year after year. When you buy Roth, you know their cheeses will always be made with good ingredients, will always taste good, and will always make you feel good when sharing with friends and family. For more information, visit RothCheese.com. Welcome back to Time for Lunch. Maureen Johnson is a forager I know who lives in Connecticut. She's been foraging for most of her life, ever since she was a little kid. My name is Maureen Johnson. I live in Durham, Connecticut. And my grandfather, as a little tyke when I was five, um, that's as far as back as I can remember, he would take me out foraging. We'd go through the back of the property, and we'd walk through the woods. You know, it was a hike for a little kid like me. And we would pass lots of streams, and he and I would pick wild watercrust. And even though I didn't like it because it was so bitter as a kid, but, you know, I remember picking it, and he would tell me what, how to pick it and, you know, what it looked like. And then we would pick chestnuts. You know, these little prickly burrs that, you know, I had to put gloves on and we would pick them and then he showed me how to dry them. And then we would pick black walnuts. You know, it's funny because the nuts were good and my grandmother used to make, you know, black walnut bread. So these are the things that I grew up with. And to me, it was just normal part of life. And then I was blessed to have a mother who 
did great at preserving and canning, and I grew up around gardens, and she would drag me out into the wild blueberry bushes or or the uh, wild black cherries, and she would make my favorite black cherry jam. That's what I grew up with. So it just became an extension of more to know, right? More berries to know. And so I had my mother that did a lot of preserving and dragged me in the woods. So I'd been surrounded by food, and I just took it a step further. And my mother always said, you've always liked to be in the woods since you're a little girl, and nothing's changed. With all of her experience hunting for tasty plants and mushrooms out in the wild, Maureen also knows that there are some spots you should be careful to avoid. Japanese knotweed, as an example, and many other plants are, are in this category, is they will take up toxic metals. They will take up the pollution in their root, and which subsequently will be released into its plant. So I think that if you're going to look for, let's stick with woodlands and pastures and open spaces, that you kind of know the history a bit of it. And the further into the woods you can get where there's no manufacturing, preserves made 25 years ago, and it used to be a dump back in the 20s. You know, these are places I would not forage anything from because things do get taken up in the roots. You want to look for natural preserves, natural land trusts, like I Google land trusts. And there's a lot of them that are small that allow the town to scoop up. Some of the old farms are even made into land trusts. They are phenomenal if, because a lot of times they didn't really use a whole lot of chemicals on their farms because they would harm their animals. So I think if you think of that and think, okay, you know what? This place is right near where they used to make textiles, you know, 100 years ago. Even though it might be a preserve today, the dirt doesn't change. I tend to look for preserves that are, you know, hundreds and hundreds of acres, are very far from manufacturing, have no street runoff. So stick to the wild lands that are really wild. Foraging is a great hobby to explore with your family. I recently started a new business called Food, Forage, and Fodder. I just see that there's a big need uh, for stepping back uh, to reconnect with the land and uh, to, to better our health and really just saw a need of uh, stepping back from the grocery stores and the supermarkets and really connecting with the outdoors and improving our health, even in small ways. My main goal for people uh, to teach them is to inspire them to step out their door and to look at what's around them just a little differently, that there is food right out their door. And to inspire them to kind of take a walk in the woods and pick some things and research. Thanks, Maureen. You've definitely inspired us to get out there and get to know the great outdoors. All this talk of getting out into the wilderness makes me want to take a wild and wonderful dance break. Ah, that was a really fun and wild dance break. We've got some more fun facts now about foraging. Do you know mushrooms are made up of about 90% water? And mushrooms have been used in medicine all over the world, dating all the way back to ancient Egypt. Yeast, which is used to help bread rise, is actually a form of fungi, closely related to the mushrooms that we eat. 
You know, Harry, you're such a fun guy. Ah, thanks, Anna. Pigs are often used to help find truffles. Their sense of smell is so good that they can smell truffles buried three feet away underground. And if you've never had a truffle, they're a very, very special prize type of mushroom that are worth their weight in gold. Some mushrooms can actually glow in the dark. There are about 30 species that have this ability. So keep your eyes open in the dark as well and you might see one glowing. And there are over 200,000 edible plant species. Around 100 of them account for 90% of our food. So it seems like there's a lot of good eating out there and a lot of new ingredients we can discover. Today, I'm making chicken fingers of the woods. This morning, I was out for a run in the woods and I found a beautiful chicken of the woods. The Latin name is Latiparus sulfurus, and it's a very easy mushroom to recognize. It is a polypore, meaning the underside has lots of little holes on it, and the bottom is bright yellow, and the top is orange, and it grows like a fan or a shelf coming out of, usually out of dead trees near the bottom. You can check our Instagram, and there'll be some pictures of this particular mushroom. And there's nothing else that looks like it that's poisonous or can hurt you. You should be a little bit careful uh, not to collect it like out of a patch of poison ivy. I've seen them growing in patches of poison ivy and got so excited because they looked so beautiful, but you don't want to pick those because you're going to get your hands and your body all itchy. So to make chicken fingers of the woods, I take my chicken of the woods, and I slice it up or tear it into pieces about the same size as you might find in like a chicken nugget. And then I put it in some kind of a batter. You could use something like Bisquick. You could just use some flour and salt and pepper. I'm using a clam fritter mix uh, from Kenyon's, which is a really neat old flour mill here in Rhode Island. And then you wanna put about a quarter of an inch of oil into a skillet, get that nice and hot, and then dip your pieces of chicken of the woods mushroom into the batter, put them into the pan for a couple of minutes, and then flip them over to the other side until they're nice and golden brown, and serve them with whatever your favorite condiment is. If you like them with ketchup, if you like them with mayonnaise, if you like them with mustard, or just eat them with some salt and pepper, or some hot sauce if you like them spicy. It is one of my absolute favorite mushrooms, and they're out in the woods now. They start coming out uh, sometimes as early as the beginning of summer, and they go well into the fall. So look for them when you're out walking around, and maybe you'll get to have yourself a treat. Before we wrap up the show today, I just wanted to give a recommendation for a great book about mushrooms. It's called The Mushroom Fan Club by Elise Gravel. It's really well illustrated. She's a cartoonist, and all the mushrooms have little eyes on them, and it does a great job of showing a lot of different shapes and sizes and colors of mushrooms and has a lot of good information about things to look for and things to look out for. At the beginning of the episode, we asked, What essential ingredient in bread is a close relative to mushrooms? And the answer is yeast which is used to help bread rise, is actually a form of fungi, closely related to the mushrooms that we eat. Thanks for listening to Time for Lunch. We'll be back next week with more tasty stories. Thank you to Frank, Olivia, Moxie, and Sam for sharing their voices on the show today. 
This show is written, produced, edited, and hosted by Harry Rosenblum and Hannah Forden, with engineering by Liam Werner. Emily Kunkel is our associate producer. Time for Lunch is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Time for Lunch is powered by Simplecast. Please stay in touch, whether you have a joke you'd like to share or if you just want to tell us what you had for lunch. We love to hear from our listeners. You can send us your recipes, poems, book recommendations, or anything else you think we might like. It's super easy to record yourself using the Voice Memo app on an iPhone, or you can even just take a video. Ask your favorite grown-up to help you email us at timeforlunchpodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to include your name, age, and address so that we can send you something in return. And in case you didn't know, we're on social media. So if you like Instagram or Facebook, look for us there on Instagram or Time for Lunch podcast. This program is also supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with City Council. See you next time.